In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. O come, O come, Emmanuel. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Holy Spirit. Help us to pray today. Help us to receive your light, your inspiration, your love, your peace today in a new way. Please increase our faith, our hope, our love. Please pour out new wisdom, new understanding, new knowledge. We pray for that gift of awe and wonder as we reflect on and, and contemplate this mystery of your love for us, especially your birth, your becoming a man, one of us. Mother Mary, you were so intimately, personally involved in God's plan for salvation. We ask you to accompany us here today in a special way. And we crown you the queen of our time together here as we pray together. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to be here with you as we're waking up together on this third Sunday of Advent. Christmas is now just one week away. And because we're going to be praying today, I wanted to read for a little bit here a couple of numbers from the Catechism that describe what prayer is and and the mystery of it and the beauty of it. So this is from the fourth part of the Catechism, which describes how we pray. So this is number 2566, if you're taking notes. 2566. Man is in search of God. That's the opening line. Man is in search of God. In the act of creation, God calls every being from nothingness into existence, crowned with glory and honor. Man is, after the angels, capable of acknowledging how majestic is the name of the Lord in all the earth. That's that gift of awe and wonder that I mentioned in my opening prayer. Even after losing through his sin his likeness to God, man remains an image of his creator and retains the desire for the one who calls him into existence. All religions bear witness to men's existential, I'm sorry, bear witness to man's essential search for God. So there the word search is used again. Perhaps today we would say seek. Seekers, you hear that word a lot. He or she is a seeker. <laughs> and in some ways, we're all seekers. We're all seekers because we can never fully know God this side of heaven. 
And so there's always, I think, a desire for more. So that word desire came up as well. And it's good to pray with your desires. It's good to pray with your desires. Maybe you never heard that before, but I'm telling you, it's good to pray with your desires. What are your desires? What are my desires? It's good to be in touch with those. There are some desires that are very common to all of us. A desire to be known. You might say a desire to be seen, a desire to be loved. A desire to be affirmed for who we are, regardless of what we do. We want to know that we are good just for who we are. That's a desire that we all have. We have a desire to, to know that we're being cared for, provided for. We have a desire to feel safe. We have a desire to feel a part of something greater than ourselves, a team, a family, a community. That's a desire that God is. Those are all desires that God created us with. Because ultimately, he fulfills all of those desires. And those are big, broad ones, overarching desires, you might say. But then there are very particular desires as well that we can all get in touch with as we recollect ourselves like we're doing today and, and listening to our hearts. I think this is a privileged time and a, and a, privi a privileged place to do that. That's a gift. And I know that God is going to honor your presence here. You all could still be sleeping like perhaps your siblings are, maybe even your parents, but you're here. You're here. You took the time, you made the effort to be here. And God is going to honor that. That makes God happy. He's happy to have this opportunity to be with you. Absolutely. There's another number here. This is number 2650. 2,650. Prayer cannot be reduced to the spontaneous outpouring of interior impulse. So it's not just how we feel, necessarily. In order to pray, one must have the will to pray. Well, here you are. You all exercised your will to be here. That took willpower. <laughs> One must have the will to pray, nor is it enough to know what the scriptures reveal about prayer or God. One must also learn how to pray. So hopefully we can all learn a little bit more about prayer today. Through a living transmission, sacred tradition, within the believing and praying church, the Holy Spirit teaches the children of God how to pray. 
So come, Holy Spirit, teach us how to pray. I like to say it's the Holy Spirit's job to help us to pray, to reveal to us the Father and the Son. The Holy Spirit's job is to help us how to pray because he reveals to us the Father and the Son. He reveals their presence. He manifests it. That's a popular word today, right? Maybe in a, in a, but not in a new age way, obviously, but in a very Christian way. The catechism actually uses that word quite a bit. So the Holy Spirit manifests the presence of God, the love of God, the wisdom of God, the knowledge and understanding, the power, the glory. And as we ask for that, and as we quiet ourselves and, and recollect ourselves, like I've said, well, then there's a communication that takes place. Ultimately, prayer is about communication. Prayer is communication with God, believe it or not. Some people don't believe in that. But I know you all believe in that, otherwise you wouldn't be here. But all of us here have different degrees of faith. But you know what? The good news is we can keep growing in faith. Some of you know that I was recently enrolled in the Encounter School of Ministry out of Brighton. So I was in that school of ministry for two years. Well, I can say that even after, so I've been a priest now 19 years, but you know, two years ago it was 17 years. So even after 17 years of priesthood, there was more for me to learn, more for me to experience in my relationship with God. And some things I didn't even anticipate. So God surprised me. And not just in ministry, not just in praying for healing, but also in levels of closeness or intimacy with God. I've been surprised at how God has continued to heal me and open up my heart and my mind, my spirit, my body to receiving his grace, his blessing, his power, his presence, his love. So I would say there's been even greater communication to sum it up. There's been greater communication between me and God in the last couple years. And I've been in religious life for 29 years now. So I just share that to say, there's always more. There's always more. It doesn't matter where you're at. Because God is loving you and, and happy to meet you right where you're at. And to, to share with you, to communicate with you right where you're at. Because sometimes we could have this thought or thoughts that, well, you know, I, I should be more like this or I should do more of that. Well, maybe, but don't let that 
Don't let those shoulds get in the way of what God wants to do for you right here and right now. Because he is happy to meet you right where you're at. You know, as we read the Gospels, never does Jesus wag his finger in somebody's face and say, you know, you really should pray more. You know, shame on you, woman caught in adultery. You know, shame on you, leper. Shame on you, Simon Peter, for denying me three times. He never said that, did he? Not that he didn't want people to repent, because he did. He wanted them to repent and believe, and believe in God's goodness. That was the original sin, if we think about it for a second. The devil sowed a seed of doubt before Adam and Eve disobeyed. Why did they disobey? Because doubt was sown in their heart. And there was a kind of fear, you might say, that they would be missing out or that God wouldn't provide for them if they didn't take things for themselves, if they didn't grasp for that knowledge, for that experience of good and evil, which would have given them control. It wasn't just about knowing good and evil. It was about controlling or determining what was good and what was bad. To, to be like God. And the funny thing is, they were already like God, right? We read earlier in Genesis, right in chapter 1, that God created us, Adam and Eve, in his image and likeness. So they already were like God. Isn't that funny? Maybe you never thought of that, but the devil was tempting them to, to do something that they already were, that they already had, that they already could do with God. With God. And so there is a great drama, you might say, that we're all a part of. It's called life. <laughs> life is a drama. Life is a highway, as the song goes on. But the amazing thing is that our God is not distant from us, from our lives. On the contrary, what we're about to celebrate next week is the fact that God became a man. We believe that God, Almighty God, left his heavenly throne to come down and to be born in a stable and to be laid in a manger in the midst of smelly animals in some poor, obscure place without pomp and circumstance. So I love to remind people about this. It's, it's obvious, but sometimes we have to pause and observe the obvious. 
that none of us got to choose when, where, or how we were born, right? We didn't get to choose our parents. We didn't get to choose what state or what city or what country we were born in. But, but Jesus got to choose that. As the son of God, he got to choose how, where, when he was born. And so we just have to marvel at that. Again, that's the gift of awe and wonder. The Holy Spirit helps us with that. Like, wow, there's, there's God. That's a baby, but that's God. And he's not in some big fancy castle or palace or mansion. He's in a stable. He's in a stable with smelly animals. <laughs> and there's not some big parade. Although the angels couldn't help themselves. At some point, they do come down, right? And they sing glory to God in the highest. It's like heaven couldn't contain itself. It's like, we got to say something, right? We got to say something. So it's true. The angels did sing glory to God in the highest. Gloria. Nevertheless, very few people knew what was happening. Very few people knew what was happening. But that's how God chose to enter into the world. And then we know the story. He lives a very ordinary kind of life in Nazareth. But then finally, when he begins his public ministry... He reveals who he is, little by little. But even Jesus, in his humanity, relied on the Holy Spirit. Let me say that again. Jesus, in his humanity, relied on the Holy Spirit to do that. Dr. Mary Healy helped me to appreciate that. Because yes, Jesus was and will always be truly God and truly man now. And he's a divine person. And yet he humbled himself. You might say he even stripped himself of his divinity. And so in his humanity, he had to rely on the Holy Spirit to carry out his public ministry. And in doing so, he was modeling for us how we, as his brothers and sisters, as sons and daughters of the Father, can actually live a new kind of life. How with the help of the Holy Spirit, we can live a new kind of life even this side of heaven. We can already begin to experience the goodness of God, the closeness of God, the power of God in such a way that our lives are transformed little by little, more and more, even this side of heaven. 
so we don't have to wait to get to heaven to have friendship with God. Let me say that again. We don't have to wait to get to heaven in order to have friendship with God. But through Christ and with Christ and in Christ, in the Holy Spirit, in the order of grace, we can have fellowship with God, walk with God, and even do the works of God so as to manifest his presence in this world. So as to cooperate with God, actually. <laughs> so as to cooperate with God. So as to collaborate with God. To work with God in bringing about the redemption of the world. The salvation of the world. So it's true. We become co-redeemers with God. That's amazing. That's amazing. That God, he, he created us without us, as St. Augustine would say. God, he created us without us, obviously. <laughs> he didn't need our help. However, to save us and to redeem the world, he actually chooses to depend on us in some sense. He now has incorporated us into his body, his mystical body, his church. So now he has chosen to have us collaborate with him in the salvation of the, of the world, and the redemption of the world, to make all things new, as he said in the book of Revelation. Behold, I make all things new, all things, all things. What does that mean? That means all things. <laughs> so there's nothing, there's no aspect of our lives, of society, that God doesn't want to redeem. And that's exciting. I hope you find that rather exciting for all of you, no matter you know, where you find yourselves, in school, in family life, wherever you may be, no matter what stage of life you're in, and no matter where you see yourself going, well, God wants to be a part of it. And he does want to collaborate with you so that his light, here's another metaphor that we can use, so that his light can shine in you and, and with you and through you and dispel the darkness and the confusion that sin and the, and the enemy cause the side of heaven in this world. I don't have to tell you that <laughs> sometimes the world can be a pretty harsh place, a dark place. You've all met friends, peers 
who are in dark places. Maybe some of your family members are in rather dark places. Maybe you're finding yourself really wrestling with darkness in some way. Well, the Lord wants to assure you that there is hope for you, for those people. There's always hope. Not just for survival, not just for redemption, but for transformation. For transformation. For sanctification, if you want to use that word. And I'm sure you all have heard stories. Maybe you yourselves have experienced a kind of transformation. I know my sophomore year at college, I experienced a transformation. (laughs) And as that transformation was happening, as it was taking place, I was growing closer to God. And then in a very unexpected way, at a very unexpected time, I felt called to be a priest. But for the first time, I, I had a sense that, wow, God actually was paying attention to me and he, he knew me personally. And that he had a plan for me. That he had a plan for me. I wasn't just some random kid in Ripon, Wisconsin, studying biology, playing football, right? But that God had a plan for me. And my initial response to that was, well, I'm unworthy. That's not for me. And I think that's something we can all think at different times. As, as, we're, as we're exposed, you might say, to opportunities, as we're offered blessings, sometimes we can shrink away from those things like, oh, yeah, no, that, no, no, that, no, that, no, that just couldn't be for me. <laughs> I'm not worthy. But that's the voice That is not the voice of God. That would be the voice of the devil. Because God wants to give you good gifts. God wants to give you good gifts. He wants to bless you. He wants to make you happy. He wants to fulfill you. And I can say that up here. And I can also admit that I have struggled at times to believe that. Of course, I believe it with my head. But that doesn't always feel true. At least there were times when that didn't feel true to me. And so just know that everyone struggles with that, even priests. Because life happens. Life throws the proverbial curveball at you. Unexpected things happen. Painful things happen. Difficult things happen. And it's hard sometimes to to deal with that, to make sense of those things. 
And that's where perseverance in prayer is, is important. And that's where community is so important. Family support is so important. Okay, I want to at least share with you a scripture passage that I imagine some of you are very familiar with. John 3. It's the conversation with Nicodemus. So if you've had a chance to to see this episode of The Chosen, you might have a very good image of what this conversation may have looked like. But I just want to read it and offer it as a, even as a place of, uh, like a composition of place, you might say. So you can ask the Holy Spirit to help you use your imagination. This is one of the things about prayer that perhaps is, is often overlooked. So I don't want to overlook it today. But we all have our exterior senses that help us relate with one another and with creation But then we all have interior senses as well. We have corresponding interior senses. So you might say that your imagination is like your interior sight. Your imagination allows you to see things that you can't necessarily see with the naked eye. But with your imagination, you can see things. And God, the Holy Spirit can use your imagination. The Holy Spirit can use your imagination. Just like he can use your conscience. He can use your intuition. He can use your heart. Of course, he can use your spirit, the Holy Spirit, touching your spirit. And so that might be a little more elusive for some of you. Maybe you've never really thought about your conscience or your imagination or your heart as an interior sense, as a way of actually encountering God. But I'm here to tell you that God created you with all of that so that you could actually communicate with him and so that he could communicate with you in a deep way, in a personal way. Pope Benedict, well, God rest his soul, would even say that's like a proof of God, you might say. The fact that he created us in such a way that we can relate to him. That he can relate to us. That we have this inner sense and these inner senses that allow us to relate to God. So let's pray, Holy Spirit, please help us to use our inner senses. Help us to keep our interior senses open to your communication here today. So John chapter 3. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, We know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. 
Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born anew, he cannot see the kingdom of God. To be born anew, to be born again, to be baptized, to be baptized, to enter into the order of grace. So that's why Paul would say we become new creatures when we're baptized, when we're born again. We become something that we were not in the order of grace. So there's the natural order, the natural order. You might you know, say that's the horizontal plane, if you will. Our bodies, right? The, all of creation, the natural world, the order of nature. But then there's the order of grace, which is the vertical plane. And of course, the cross is a, is a reminder to us as well that God, Almighty God, chose to enter into our reality with the vertical and the horizontal. And in some ways, he's trying to unite it, right? He's trying to reconcile it in himself through his blood shed on the cross. But we, we are claimed by God for himself. He, he, the Father, claims us through the Son in the Spirit. You probably don't remember your baptism. I'm assuming you were... All baptized as kids? Maybe not. So maybe you do remember, if you weren't baptized as a baby, how you know parents and godparents traced the sign of the cross on your forehead after the priest did that. And I like to say that is the Trinitarian act par excellence. <laughs> that the Father claims you through the Son in the Spirit. And then when you're plunged, so to speak, in the waters of baptism, God's very life is poured into you. And you become a part of him. And that's something that he does. That's his initiative. That's God's doing. So that helps to take the pressure off of you that you are not the protagonist in your relationship with God. It doesn't all depend on you. In fact, prayer is a response to God's action, to God's revelation. And as the catechism says in number 142, the proper response to God's revelation is faith. Faith. Let's keep reading in John. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, 
nature. And that which is born of the spirit is spirit, supernatural. That's where the word supernatural comes from. It's above nature. It's beyond nature. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born anew. The wind blows where it wills and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can this be? Jesus answered him, are you a teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand this? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen but you do not receive our testimony in faith. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven, but he who descended from heaven, the son of man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the son of man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. And here's John's commentary on all of this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, again, the initiative of God, that whoever believes our response in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God sent the son into the world, not to condemn the world. Why? But that the world might be saved through him. So you have already been baptized. You've already become something that you were not because of what God did for you. And he wants to do that again and again and again. Not that you'll be baptized again and again and again, but he wants to give himself to you again and again and again. It's the beauty of being able to celebrate Mass and receive Holy Communion. It's a very concrete manifestation of God's desire to give himself to you. God is pursuing you. We'll talk more about that in the second talk. But God is indeed pursuing you. God is indeed blessing you. God is holding you. He's sustaining you. He's providing for you. He sees you. He hears you. He loves you. He cares about you. He cares for you. So all of these things that you've heard, the things that you've experienced perhaps already, believe in them. Make acts of faith today once again in those things, in those manifestations of God. And Lord, we ask you to help us be open to those manifestations. Help us, Lord, to be open to those new revelations. Lord, give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Help us to feel what you want us 
to feel. Help us to experience what you want us to experience today. And I'll close with one of Paul's prayers that he prayed for the Ephesians in his letter to the Ephesians chapter 1. It starts with verse 15, Paul's prayer. And I make this my prayer for all of you today. And with this, we'll close. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, experiential knowledge, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power in us who believe, according to the working of his great might, which he accomplished in Christ when he raised him from the dead and made him sit at his right hand in the heavenly places. Amen.